0: Thank you for listening to this podcast by Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by a special guest speaker. How is your faith? There's a question to open up the sermon. So, today we're going to talk about what is faith, how much faith, and what our faith is like. And my scripture for today is in Mark chapter 11. We're going to start out looking at verses 12 through 14 and 20 through 25, and then we're going to come back to the middle section. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it as they passed by in the morning they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots and Peter remembered and said to him rabbi look the fig tree that you cursed has withered I'm sorry and Jesus said to them have faith in God truly I say to you whoever says to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will come to pass, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whatever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who is in heaven, may forgive you in your trespasses. Let's pray. Thanks be to God for your word. Father, help us now as we look at this passage that we might better understand it and believe it and live in the light of it, amen. This event in Mark 11 takes place during the Passion Week of Christ. He's entered into the city of Jerusalem on Sunday and this is the Palm Sunday or where he comes right on a colt, and Hosanna are spoken. And then on Monday morning as he's walking in from Bethany he sees this fig tree and it's in leaf And this last week, I learned more about fig trees than I ever learned in my life. And basically, on a fig tree, the fruit comes first and then the leaves. So if you see a fig tree with leaves, there should be fruit. However, it's an immature fruit and eventually it will ripen and actually a fig tree can have two or three harvests in a year, but they really don't harvest the figs until August, but even though this is the time of the Passover. So on Monday morning, Jesus curses the fig tree Then later that day, Jesus goes into the temple and drives out the money changers. And by the time we come to our text in verse 20, it is Tuesday morning. On Monday morning, he sees a fig tree. Now a fig tree is an Old Testament picture of Israel. And Jesus is hungry, and he goes to the fig tree looking for fruit, because fruit always comes before the leaves. And all he finds are leaves, but no fruit. So he curses the fig tree. And in between Monday morning and Tuesday morning, we have a passage in there that I didn't read yet, where he drives the money changers out of the temple. Both acts are a parable of divine judgment upon the Jews, on Israel, on the temple, because the religion is apostate, it's not bearing fruit. Judaism is being judged, and the temple is being judged, and the nation is being judged for its unbelief. So on Tuesday morning, verse 22, as they pass the fig tree, Peter sees it is withered to its roots. Being remembered, being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. Jesus answered, saying, have faith in God. Now at first it seems like an awkward transition from Peter's comment, the fig tree is cursed and is withered, and Jesus says, have faith in God and a discussion of prayer. What's the connection? Well, the connection is that judgment is coming, and the cursing of the fig tree was a demonstration of the power of judgment. As Jesus, by a word, could kill a fig tree, roots and all, through the power of God, is a formidable reality. But in the temple, in between these two events, Jesus goes to the temple and drives out the money changers. And the curse on the fig tree is a metaphor for judgment on the temple, which is where Jesus goes into the temple and drives out the money changers. Remember, on Sunday, he was basically acknowledged as the king or the Messiah. So now, in that authority, he is going and passing judgment on the temple. Now, throughout the Old Testament, Israel is described as God's vineyard or fig tree. And as any Israelite knew, the first fruits of the harvest belongs to God, which helps conceptualize their relationship to God. He required them to yield spiritual fruit as his covenant people. And Israel's fruitfulness, literal or otherwise, is not the basis of their relationship with God, for it is God who gives the fruitfulness. But a lack of fruitfulness is a sign of God's curse on their rebellion. Jesus has purchased the children of God with compassionate seriousness. This is the Passover week, the week where they celebrate their exodus from Egypt, where God delivered his people And on Sunday, they have just hailed Jesus as king, and God has come to judge and redeem his chosen people through Jesus. And Jesus comes to the tree and comes to the temple, and there's no fruit. The fig tree has failed, the Passover celebration and the crowds and all the singing, it's just a show. And Jesus enters God's house of prayer and finds a den of robbers. Lots of action, lots of bustle, but no righteousness. The temple has leaves, but no fruit and Jesus pours out divine judgment via two signs both the cursing of the temple and the cursing of the fig tree but how does that turn into have faith in god let's take a step back when peter asks the question rabbi look the fig tree which you cursed has withered peter is asking how does that kind of power work how did you do that he heard jesus curse the tree and now it is dead and jesus answers him in verse 22 have faith in God. In other words, such power displays, such miracles that Jesus performed, be they negative or positive, come from God. And then he begins to talk about how to draw on that divine power through prayer. Now the point here is not about our faith. It's about God's ability. This is the theological element of prayer. And what it means is trust God, trust in who he is and what he has done for you. Matthew 21, which is a parallel passage, the cursing of the fig tree in that gospel, it goes on to say, have faith in God and don't doubt. It's not the nature of faith here, it's the issue. It's the character of God that's the issue. If you want to have an effective prayer life, you must trust God. You must trust in his power and his purpose and his promise and his plans and his will in your life. In other words you trust that he knows better than you know what you need and when the disciples said to jesus lord teach us how to pray he said pray this way our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name thy kingdom come thy will be done in other words you begin with god you acknowledge who he is and that he has all the power and you are praying god whatever honors your name whatever advances your kingdom and whatever accomplishes your will That's what I will pray. The other way to pray would be to to pray to satisfy your own lust, to come to God with a laundry list, to demand things from God. And James says you ask and don't receive because you ask to consume it of your own desires. All prayer starts with your honor, your kingdom, your will be done, and everything comes in light of that first john 5 14 says this is the confidence with which we have before him that if we ask anything according to your will if you ask in his will you're going to receive what you ask if you consume it on your own lust you're not going to receive it in john 14 jesus tells his disciples this is the night of the last supper he says whatever you ask in my name i will do it that the father may be glorified in the son In my name, consistent with my person, consistent with my purpose, consistent with my plan, consistent with my will, consistent with God's kingdom. Now, verse 23, back in the passage we're in, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes, believes, that's the operative word, believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. And that's kind of an amazing verse, isn't it? And it says, whoever. I like the sound of whoever. It sounds like everyone, right? It's I can see myself in whoever. And you can see yourself in whoever. He's telling all of us that we have this ability to go to God in prayer. And here comes the illustration. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up or lifted up, be hurled into the sea. Now that's a pretty tall order. And doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Now you wouldn't take that literally Now you can go out and stand in front of any hill and stow no mountain just a hill and you can't get it thrown into the sea, right? And never did Jesus do anything like that in his ministry. This is an analogy. This is hyperbole It's a figure of speech Jesus is saying that what seems impossible can be possible through God acting in accordance to his will there was uh, A figure of speech in Jewish times where they would call certain rabbis who really understood Scripture they would say they were movers of mountains and it was just a a figure of speech and Jesus disciples would have known that expression and they were seen through what we might see through today now remember your faith has no power except the part from God the words spoken in faith have no power except the part of God's will and God's plan god has all the power you can't do anything against the will of god and all power comes from god not from anything we say or do going back to james again chapter 1 verse 6 he must ask in faith without doubting for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind in other words you're blown all over the place if you doubt and james goes on to say for that man ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from the lord Because he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now the issue is, do you believe in God? Do you believe that he can do what he says he can do? Or do you doubt God? And we have to have that faith, that trust, trusting in his ability. But how much faith is that? I mean, that sounds like a tall order to have that kind of faith. late on the slides let's look at Matthew 14 in verse 29 where Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water coming toward Jesus and he saw the wind and the waves he became frightened he began to doubt and he began to sink into the water and he says a real quick prayer Lord save me immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said oh you of little faith right Little faith, why do you doubt? You know what a great key principle is there? Peter had little faith, and he was able to walk in the water, and he prayed to Jesus, and Jesus rewarded that little faith by responding to it. Did Peter have great, stupendous, sweeping faith? He had a little faith, but he was granted his prayer, even though his faith was small. Look at Mark 9. This is one of my favorite passages. I'll show you an illustration of what we're talking about in little faith. There's a man who has a son, and the son has a problem. And he goes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, if I can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. If Jesus calls out his doubt, and the father's embarrassed by his doubt, and he prayed, Help my unbelief, he knew that Jesus could help us unbelieve. And faith is always going to be like that it's going to be mixed with some doubt. I mean, this world crushes us, right? Every day. We don't have perfect faith, do we? Can we identify with this man? amen you were all saved by faith right was it a perfect faith was it a hundred percent to the max to the wall to the limit no shadow of doubt no you live by faith and you walk by faith but it's not a perfect faith there's a threshold at which no faith becomes little faith and that's what God wants and little faith becomes a statement I believe help me in my own belief Is that good news? I think it's great news, because we all live there. We're human, and we're walking by sight. And each of us is struggling with our faith as the waves of life crash in on us. The world is ready to destroy us, but Jesus reminds us in scripture, I have overcome the world. And by the way, Jesus did heal the man's son. If you go through the Gospel of Matthew, he says, In chapter 6, you have little faith because they didn't believe in his provision when he made the bread and the fish. In Matthew 8, he says you have little faith because they didn't trust him in the storm. In Matthew 14, he says they have little faith because of the incident on the water. In Matthew 16, they have little faith because they don't believe that he can provide and supply for the crowd. But the little faith is enough. According to Matthew 17, Little faith, only the size of a mustard seed. That's more good news. Faith isn't the power, but faith is the empty hand that receives the power from God. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved, and it will be removed. Sound familiar? Even a small amount of struggling faith can draw down the power of God in the life of a believer. What an amazing promise, right? Right? Just faith the grain of a mustard seed. Is that not grace upon grace? Does this make you want to pray and pray more often? It does, doesn't it? Does this encourage us to pray more? I mean we have the the gift, the ability, the the privilege to walk into the throne room of God every day. Verse 24, this should be obvious. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, there's the key word, the practical component of effective, powerful prayer, is to ask. James says you do not have because you do not ask. Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Do we believe the Sermon on the Mount? Do we believe that Jesus is saying real things to us here. But this is too much. How can I ask for anything? This is too unqualified. This is too bold, right? And that's why we have to go to James 4. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly. How do we ask? We must ask in accordance with God's will, in accordance with his plan, that he has the ability to do what he needs to do, but that must be in according to the way he has taught us through his word, of what his kingdom looks like. And Christ himself gave us a beautiful model for this in Mark 14, the night before his crucifixion. In the garden, he was in anguish, sweating great drops of blood in anticipation of his own crucifixion. And he cries out, Abba, Father, right? All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, the cup of suffering, the sin-bearing event of the cross. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus sets that pattern for us, to pray expectantly, pray pray believing God can do, but to know that it must be in his will and in his time. The Lord understands the cries of our heart. He understands the cry for healing. He understands the cry for a better marriage. He understands the cry of the heart over our children when they grieve us with disaffection and rebellion. He understands that. He understands our struggles with money and finances and the day-to-day living. He knows all the worries of our heart. And yet, he still cares for us. He still holds us in. He gives us the greatest gift, which is our salvation. And he holds you, each of us, in his heart, and he will never forsake us. And he makes all things work together for your ultimate good, we learn in Romans 8. We must faithfully ask in prayer, in obedience, in his will. And he wants us to come and pour out our hearts to him in prayer. We are called to boldly storm heaven, to go into his throne room and say, as Christ said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Because God is greater, purer, wiser, more generous, more gracious, more merciful than anything we can even imagine with our finite minds. He knows better what we need than what we do. Let's turn to the book of Acts. Chapter 1, Jesus is gone, he's ascended. And the disciples were out on the Mount of Olives when he left, and they went right back into Jerusalem from the Mount that same day, that same hour. And they entered the city, and they went into the upper room where they had shared the Last Supper with Jesus. And they were all of one mind, and they continually devoted themselves to prayer. They got the message. Jesus was gone, and within hours of his leaving, they began to tap on God's divine resources Through prayer and what happened the power came down on the day of Pentecost in chapter 2 the place was suddenly lit by heaven the Holy Spirit came down and the church was born and they went from there to the great moment of the day of Pentecost when Peter preached and 3,000 were saved and then another time 5,000 were saved it says and there were 20,000 plus that believed the gospel and the gospel literally went out from Jerusalem to judea to all the world and it went out so powerfully that the people said that they turned the world upside down mountains of people were moved into the sea of baptism into the kingdom of heaven by the power of god through the prayers of the church and the lord was saying to them by that answered prayer i told you that the power of god would be available if you sought me by prayer and if you go through the book of acts it's a continual pattern There's prayer and God's power revealed and prayer and God's power revealed and prayer and God's power revealed. And that's how it's gone on through the whole history of the church. And it's still that way today, even here in Stowe, Ohio, even in our church. Still the privilege we have to call upon the Lord in believing prayer that we ask consistent with His will and purpose, just ask. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time this morning. How wonderfully rich and blessed we are, how privileged we are to come to you in prayer. Thank you for each person here today. What a joy and privilege to share your word, to worship together, to sing songs of praise to you for all you've done for us. Thank you for the work that your Holy Spirit has done here by faith. Lord, I pray that our faith will increase and grow stronger, and the result of that faith will be believing prayer, a stronger trust in our prayer, a stronger trust in your provision and that we can further your kingdom hear our prayer lord and hear the prayer that we cry out to you first of all forgive our transgressions and then grant us the faith to activate heaven's power on behalf of the advance of your name and your kingdom your will on earth as it is in heaven thank you for that privilege in the name of christ we pray